how about a video game? Can you tell us one video game that you've been playing for pleasure? To point toward the logo or the direction? Guild Wars 2, Path of Fire. Yeah, so. Yes. Entire game journey, cooperative, loving, the community, friendly, always helping. That is something that actually uh, surprised me a lot. So I'm really into how this game mechanic facilitate that. So that's why I make excuse to play it. Hello world, this is SpartyCast. Hello and welcome to SpartyCast. In this episode, I speak with Skylar Lay, a PhD student in our very own information and media program here in the College of Communication Arts and Sciences at Michigan State University. She's also a proud and productive member of the Sparty Lab. We've worked together on multiple projects, but today I pretend like I know very little about her to get a better understanding of her background, why she started studying games, what exactly made her curious about games as a child, which led to her pursuit of a PhD in game studies. She gives us some advice about how potential future PhD students in game studies or maybe anywhere could approach the topics that they find fascinating. We talk about her specific interests related to cooperation and pro-social behavior in video games. We expand on that by discussing her playing of Guild Wars 2 and the reasons she believes Guild Wars 2 is perhaps one of the best cooperative games out there, the game mechanics that lead to the successful cooperation between players. And last but not least, why exactly psychologically she cringes when watching Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Check it out here on SpartyCast. Hello and welcome, Skylar. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, Skylar, you and I spent a lot of time in meetings just like this talking about research, but exactly. I'm going to pretend I know nothing about you <laughs> or at least very little. So can you tell me about what it is you're doing here uh, with your life? Wow. Um, so I'm a second year PhD student uh, in the Department of Media and Information at uh, MSU. And uh, uh, my main research interests are uh, media psychology with an emphasis on more immersive uh, interactive media such as video games and uh, virtual reality, artificial uh, intelligence related. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm also interested in studying how people perceive humanness in technology. Yeah, some great topics. Uh, it's no coincidence we work together because <laughs> I like all of those topics. Um, so you're here at Michigan State University in the PhD program in our department, it's called the Information and Media Program, right? Yes. And before that, where were you? Before that, I uh, finished my master's program at Boston University uh, in the Division of Emerging Media Studies. And uh, before that, finished my undergrads in sociology in Sun Yat-sen University back in China, in Guangzhou. And you did all of your studies in China? Yeah, yeah, up until the master program point. Okay, and did you travel outside of China much before that? 
Uh, a little bit. I went to Japan for a short trip and uh, yeah, that's about it. I did travel a lot within the realm of China. Of course. <laughs> that sounds like a multiverse already. <laughs> <laughs> the realm. Um, and you've always been a gamer. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a soul motivation. I'm here. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. My heart well, is it's... academic. It's nice to study what you love. We can do that in our field. Yeah. So you um, you ended up working with Jim Cummings at Boston University. I should really yes. have him on the podcast too. Um, we'll send this to fine. him. We'll say we were talking about him. Uh, yeah. But Jim also has a background in virtual reality research. And yes. so you got excited about pursuing this as a as a career, I guess. Yes, and uh, I did. I, I, I was influenced a lot by Dr. Cummings, Jim. Uh, yes, he uh, studied virtual realities. He studies uh, multitasking on a single device, which is very fascinating and uh, uh, mainly emergent media, new media. And uh, yeah, that's how I got my um, first move in academia. So I think... It would be great if you imagine right now that you're speaking to potential PhD students, undergrads out there who might be interested in China or in the United States or all over the world, interested in pursuing the type of research that you're studying. What would you tell them? What kind of advice do you have or, or parts of your journey would you want to share about becoming a PhD student in this field? I'll, I'll, I'll start with uh, when I was a little girl. <laughs> Uh, when I was very young, I'm always like drawn to the game world. Uh, that's, I guess, from the perspective of the parents, that might be a um, downside of uh, giving access to computers to a child too early. But the, the computer, let's say just the machine, always kind of attracts me. And then I did start gaming very early on and uh, have since been in the long battle with my parents about gaming because I will be spending a lot of time uh, that I should, uh, should be doing something else. But instead I was gaming, I was playing games. And uh, along the way, I always had this thought of maybe one day I'll find a way to actually work with games the whole time. Maybe I could become a game designer, a game developer, uh, artist, some way just working my way closer to games. But then growing up and entering college and studying sociology, <laughs> which is kind of remote from game world. And then that dream kind of died down a little bit, traveling abroad and uh, getting to know entirely a new branch of uh, studies and uh, a, a completely new field to me, basically. I, I never tried to understand game from a media and a communication perspective until I got to uh, Boston University. And then, like we mentioned before, Jim kind of opened up the new world to me. Because uh, I understand that, oh, we can study it as part of the media world, as part of what we have already been uh, studying and developing along the way before game even started. So 
that's kind of my journey. And then I did find a weird way closer to game, I guess, eventually, as a researcher tried to study games. And uh, I feel like that suits me better. So the point is, the point of the long story is definitely stick to what you love and then somehow you'll find a way closer to it. But certainly everyone who loves games uh, won't necessarily be a great fit for studying them. So what, what else do you need? What other attributes or skills or interests do you think uh, helped you get into this field? I think, first of all, you need to have the idea of observing things all the time. Speaking from my own experience, when I'm a player, when I'm a gamer, I just want to kind of bury myself in the game without thinking too much and just have the fun. But most of the time I'm playing, I'm also actually observing a lot of interesting phenomena. And uh, I think those are times when I really think from a different perspective that, oh, this might not just for me to have fun, but also could be a place where I learn things, where I interact with people, where I have different experience that's as real uh, as the real life to me. So it would be great that you keep your curiosity high at, the, at all time and observe whenever you're kind of uh, having fun. And uh, now I'm a researcher that I also um, think about things more uh, through the lens of uh, theory and uh, uh, more academic driven kind of perspectives. So I would say that uh, learning about how the game came to be and how is it, how, how can it be so attractive and so, uh, interesting to uh, to play, like you reverse engineering what you are experiencing that gets you back to things. Great. This is really great advice. Um, so maybe we're speaking, imagine we're speaking, I don't know if anyone who listens to this podcast is under the age of 15, but maybe we're speaking to kids at that age and reminding them to stay curious and excited about the things that they find interesting and eventually potentially those things could be the core of their job the exactly. core of the of what they study also right it takes yeah. it takes a certain um kind of curiosity as you you've said and um thirst for knowledge to just want to stay in school essentially as long as you have <laughs> and uh <laughs> And so, yeah, great. And so tell us a little bit about the specific phenomena that you find interesting related to games. First of all, I think there are a lot of uh, interesting phenomena that's like uh, my whole, uh, my, my whole week are like spent on just thinking about interesting phenomena uh, that I observed in games, but I'll, I'll, uh, how about more formally, the things that, that you're writing papers about? Yes, preparing that's to do where I'm heading because this yeah. is the start of the semester. And uh, typically for our, uh, for us doctoral students, uh, new, new semester normally means new proposals, <laughs> two or three for each semester, I guess. Um, so I'm actually uh, recently really interested in uh, one kind of uh, direction 
that's built upon uh, my advisor's uh, previous study that examined how players playing cooperatively in violent video games could not only not increase their aggression, but actually increase their pro-social behavior. And that to me is very fascinating. But the study was done, I guess, almost a decade ago. <laughs> I don't remember the time, but um, in, the, in the experiment of the study, uh, the authors examined one condition, which is uh, players uh, will eventually win the game. But they did examine uh, playing cooperatively or playing competitively. But the end goal is to defeat the computer. So I'm thinking that nowadays we play a lot of uh, games that are uh, player versus player, like for Fortnite, like League of Legends, and other games. So the most most of the time, the scenario becomes didn't we we had a we had a long and tough fight, but we eventually lose, and then. Uh, the enemy team always seem to be a tiny, teeny bit better than us, and we start to blame our teammates. And that's a phenomenon that I really want to study that, uh, in, uh, under, under the framework of the, the previous study that I mentioned. We did play cooperatively, but in case that we're defeated, how do we feel about our teammates? Do we still behave pro-socially, or do we think of our teammates as, as garbage. And we're the only one who's doing the hard work, but we still- So lose. in the previous study, you're saying they, the participants always won? Yes. Okay, so they were either playing, playing competitively or yes. cooperatively. Yes, but they did playing PVE mo mode, uh, which means player versus player environment. Versus and environment, they all, yeah. Yeah, they all win. So they the always end. won and they were always playing a computer. So you wanna look yeah. at, um, a difference when they're playing with human teammates yes. against human against opponents human, uh, yes. and when they potentially lose as well as win. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine pro-social behavior like goes right out the window when you're, when you're blaming your teammates for your loss. Exactly. And, and that's, that's, that's what fascinates me is that I did, in my own gaming experience, observe multiple different outcomes when we lose our fight. Um, when, when the game is very uh, difficult and uh, say a match that went for 40 minutes, sometimes even if you lose, the teammates are not that angry with each other. In, in, in fact, they kind of complement each other's effort and say that, well, although we lost, it, it was a good fight. It was a good game. But sometimes, even if it's an easy game that you win, you don't necessarily feel very thrilled and you don't think that your teammates are doing an excellent job. It just felt easy sometimes. So I'm also thinking about if the uh, interaction between the arousal level that the game induced in players would have an interaction with the win or losing condition, winning or losing condition that may lead to different outcomes and feelings uh, we have toward our teammates. There's a study that we published, I think last year with Cindy Shen and, and Dimitri Williams where, and, and many other um, 
collaborators at UC Davis, where we looked at toxicity reports and team skill. And I think what they found was there were more toxicity incidents when there's a wide gap in team skill. And the higher your skill, actually, the more toxic you were likely to be. <laughs> um, but that kind of makes sense, right? Like if you're an expert and you get stuck on a team with a noob and they're, yeah. they're the reason you lose or you have to carry them the whole way across to the win, you're more likely to be frustrated. Um, exactly. Not that that justifies flaming them or otherwise being antisocial, but I think that's the generalized case there. So maybe a contributor to differences in arousal uh, is the the variance in skill level on that team. That very that is very likely to be the case, I think. Oh, that's tough data analysis. I got to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at team data, then you might get into social network graphs and comparing yeah. the two. I mean, I guess you can condense some of it down, but that is not my favorite type of analysis. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I, I, I can see that this, um, this direction would be very difficult to examine, especially in a more dynamic setting. It's difficult to control. Of course, of course. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about how you have strong opinions about Shang-Chi and the legend of the Ten Rings. Oh. So share those, Skylar. And if you can, try to put on a, a media psychology hat and, and throw that in there too. The movie went out uh, when I, uh, on, on my birthday actually. And then uh, a, a bunch of friends and I went to the theater with precautions and uh, uh, we watched the movie. Happy birthday. Go on. Thank you. And, and, and we watched the movie. So the, the, the friends uh, I went to the movie with, uh, are, there, are, there are American friends, there are um, Greek friends, and also there are Chinese friends. So we, we, we agreed upon that this movie is definitely very entertaining and uh, it, it had great story. It had a great uh, performance and uh, it's actually, it's, it's generally just very entertaining and uh, it's, a, it's a good watch. And uh, I feel like that's a baseline of Marvel movie. There, there, there won't be a Marvel movie that is not fun to watch. And uh, I have to say that the, the uh, cast choice are pretty good as well in terms of um, the performance and uh, especially Tony Leung, uh, who is super famous uh, in Asia. That's like a great surprise for all of us. The part that I'm not a big fan about uh, because this actually reminded me when I was watching um, Black Panther, which is another movie that's so high up on my list of favorite Marvel movies. I enjoyed and I loved Black Panther so much. Um, and rest in peace, <laughs> Chadwick Boseman. But when I was watching it, I'm also uh, one of the audience who are not familiar with any African culture or any of the backgrounds that the story is uh, taking from. So when I was watching it, I'm purely enjoying 
the aesthetic, the movie, the setup, and the, the storyline. And uh, after, after the movie got a huge success, I did saw some comments on their, that is just a weird mixture of what Hollywood perceive African culture to be like. And this time with Shang-Chi, that felt so real. <laughs> That felt so real, and I, I see. So, so your your proximity to the culture, yes. um, kind of shades your interpretation, and and of course you know the culture very well, being from yes. China. So then this Hollywood portrayal of it feels off or insufficient to you in some way. Yes, exactly. Uh, in what ways can you describe kind of specifically what what felt uh, too simplified or? I, I, this is, first of all, this metaphor definitely is not, uh, the, I didn't invent this metaphor, but I found it very uh, accurate in terms of how culture works. It's basically think about food. It felt like it's the variation of the authentic food with a lot of uh, catering to it. And uh, the end result, it's actually for the targeted audience to accept more easily and still re, uh, remain the sense of um, exotic or like a different type of food. But the end goal is for the target audience to receive it easily and uh, in a way that they, they can relate. I wouldn't necessarily say that this is like a, 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 a very bad move or like a, this is a disrespect of our culture, because a lot of times I do understand that for people to, for people from different cultural backgrounds to understand each other, we always would, uh, would resort to ways that are understandable for the other part of uh, the interaction. I, I guess what I'm saying you're, is you're that- You're trying to be um, politically sensitive in the way that you're <laughs> yeah. describing this. And I think you're doing a great job, um, Skylar. And I totally know what you mean, right? It feels inauthentic, um, not necessarily disrespectful, but you know, if you're from the South and in the United States and you're used to, I don't know, cornbread being made a certain way, and then you go to Northern California to some Southern restaurant and you eat cornbread and it, it doesn't live up, um, then you're, you're disappointed because it's labeled as the same thing. Exactly. Or, or um, there's this show called The Chair. Have you heard of it? Yes. It's about um, academia. And English I really like Sandra Oh. I think she's a great actor. Yeah. Killing Eve, loved it. But yeah. I just cannot watch the show. Jeannie is watching the show and I'm like, please, I, I can't even hear it. The topics are just so close to home and so dramatized. It, it's exactly it's related to academia, but I just I know it so well. I live I live those faculty meetings. I see those like gendered stereotype dynamics. Uh, but of course, it's so overt in a show because it, it just has to be done quickly um, in the yeah. same way Shang-Chi and the Legend of, of the. So which thing made you cringe the most in that movie? Which piece of that movie were you like, oh, they're just doing it in such a weird way? Oh, gosh. Th there are actually a lot of those moments. 
that's why my Chinese friends and I are like sitting in a row, and the, the three of us are laughing hysterically, while the rest of the uh, audience remains silent and just waiting for what's going on in the movie. And the, the three of us, well, we're there are so many moments. Oh, can if you think I, of one? Give us one example. The the thing they're the outfit they're wearing. <laughs> It's such a weird mixture of um, ancient Chinese, ancient uh, Japanese, and uh, uh, some uh, Southeast Asian uh, elements to it. It it, it felt so. <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting way that uh, I we didn't know that things can be mixed <laughs> in this way before, oh. and also. Um, I, I don't want to uh, spoil things, but when the character Tony Leung was playing uh, first met his uh, future wife, um, that scenario, it's kind of like a, a budget copy of uh, the very famous uh, movie. I don't remember the English translation of that movie, but- What's the title the in Chinese? They, uh, fight in a bamboo forest. Oh, I'm Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a, such a long name for, because the translation of that. Wait, um, what, what is it in Chinese? Is it one syllable? It's four, but it's uh, Okay, so four syllables. Four uh, syllables. Crouching Tiger, Hidden. Okay, it's literally twice yeah, as many. That's basically the, the, the translation of that. It's yeah. a tiger and it's a dragon. Okay, okay. And they're in different um, positions. So it's a good, Oh, so, so it's a reference in a way, a but Couching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is, that did very well um, around the world, right? In yes. Hollywood, and, but it's not a Hollywood movie, right? It's, it's not, it's uh, directed by a um, Chinese director. And uh, uh, I think that, that, that would be, if, if we have that as a reference of authentic uh, portrayal of uh, Chinese culture. And uh, yeah, like the, the saying that uh, the character met his future wife did seem like a budget copy of that, which is still entertaining, but it just felt so similar. And, oh, interesting. Uh, I wonder if it's supposed to be a reference, like paying homage probably, to that. Probably. <laughs> sure. Um, and and if we if we if I think about it uh, from the media psychology perspective, I would say that the proximity and the familiarity with the culture background itself break me uh, breaks me out from the immersion and the present so frequently <laughs> that I cannot uh, just enjoy the movie anymore. Interesting. You can't. Suspend your disbelief. Yes, exactly. I cannot sus uh, suspend my disbelief anymore. This is breaking my disbelief. Sure, because when you recognize that the outfit is completely, you know, unrealistic, no, no one uh, would actually wear such a combination of things. Then that's a reminder of, yeah, okay, that's very interesting. Uh, I think, I think you should you should get a PhD in a media psychology field. Wow. <laughs> You're very good at interpreting these things. Awesome. Now for a message from our sponsor, which is 
SpartyCast. Go to our survey and tell us what you think. It'll take like 37 seconds. Real quick, checkbox, checkbox, answer some stuff. It is at bit.ly slash Sparty Survey. That's bit.ly slash Sparty, S-P-A-R-T-I-E, survey, spelled like survey. Please and thank you very much. Now, back to our conversation with Skylar Lay. How about a video game? Can you tell us one video game that you've been playing for pleasure? Oh. I'm not sure <laughs> if my hand can, can to point toward the logo or the direction. Guild Wars 2, Path of Fire. Yeah, so yes. what type of character do you have? Um, so first of all, this is an old, uh, by old, I mean, uh, it, it just reached this ninth anniversary. And uh, uh, Guild Wars 2, it's a MMORPG game. Um, shall I be abbreviated? Massively or... multiplayer online role-playing game. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, this is a game that uh, I really liked and I played it uh, in my undergrads and uh, I recently picked it up. Don't tell my advisor <laughs> and <laughs> forget about the information I just told you. Um, but this game actually um, stands out and uh, in a very unique way about how it can promote uh, cooperation in an online uh, gaming environment because of the because of how this game is designed. Players actually came together to do things, and uh, they're they're basically unless you went to went into PvP, but uh, most of the time. There isn't, uh, there isn't any scenario that you would actually hate other players and compete with others for resources. Entire game journey, cooperative, loving, the community, friendly, always helping. That is something that actually uh, surprised me a lot. So I'm really into how this game mechanic facilitate that. So. That's why I make excuse to play it. All right, couple questions. First, you yeah. know we're recording this, right? Okay. <laughs> so I Dave might hear this episode and know that you're playing the game, but I mean, you need you need to play up the research angle. This is exactly, exactly the topic you want to study based on Dave Ebelson's previous research. Yes. And so you're looking at the mechanics that might be relevant to your research. So what's what's a mechanic that you think is particularly successful at promoting this cooperation? I would, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I love this game so much. I would name three, three major uh, components to it. So first of all, you could save people. You save other players. You're not, because uh, we know that uh, World of Warcraft in some zones, you could kill other players and loot them and even prevent them from reviving. That's like just putting people in hostile environment. But in this game, you actually gain experience, leveling up experience by saving others. So this game, a player can experience a down state before they actually die and have to revive at a different place. The down state, uh, every other player passing by could just hit a button and save them. And the player who are saving them gain experience. 
So that okay. promotes people becoming very friendly and helpful when you see a people like almost dead on the side of the road, you hop off your mount and save them. So yeah, that's one yeah. thing. And uh, another thing is that uh, from the very beginning, the game development uh, kind of uh, established the goal of giving everyone the copy of things, not having them compete, argue, and uh, trying to uh, fight for one valuable thing. You always get a copy of your loot uh, when you are working in a team environment, when, when you conquer a boss, when you uh, finish a fight, everyone gets a loot. So people don't fight. That's, the, the, that's virtual resources, but they, they get to, uh, everyone gets to have one copy of that. And that makes third, a lot of sense. And that's, uh, that's a conflict yeah. that we hear about from All games like World of Warcraft again, right? Yes. Okay. When you finish a very difficult fight within a team, but you don't get the loot that you wanted, that creates a lot of conflict and, and toxicity, I would say. Sure. But in this game, uh, everyone gets a, a copy of loot. Uh, but sometimes it, it's still up to the uh, random number generator to decide uh, what you actually get, but you never fight for uh, fight others because of one thing. Sure. And then the third one would be this game had skills that create a actual field on the ground and uh, have skills, another type of skills that functions as a finisher of this field and the combination of the field and the finisher creates an area effect that affects multiple player around the area so basically that that's a that's a weird way of explaining it but the end result is that you can heal people you can buff people and you work you you uh, accomplish that through the way of cooperating with other players because you may not have the field skill or you may not have the finisher skill, but your teammates will have those skills. So the combination of you and your teammates with good timing and communication creates the strongest buff and strongest effects that will benefit the entire team. So I, I would say that from, it, it did solve a lot of specific problem that used to be in a game that prevents players playing uh, with each other and actually make them play against each other. But in this game, they're solved, at least so far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and they, they actually rely on each other to achieve something better and good. Do you know if anybody's written about um, these types of mechanics in particular in cooperative games? Have you seen it in the literature? If I've seen a lot of it, I might just um, quit and find another job because that's part of my goal. Of, uh, I think this is oh. great. No, I think you should be a first mover and um, maybe try to get that written before someone who listens to this episode oh thinks I'm going to take these ideas. But no, if, uh, <laughs> if you're a listener and a future or current scholar um please connect with skylar don't just take her idea um work together <laughs> cooperate you can share your field and finisher area effect on your exactly. research uh experience you can share the loot you can both be listed as 
collaborators or co-authors on the paper. If one of you yeah. is downed, oh, uh, maybe God. low on uh, mental energy, you can revive each other, get off your mount. And so, yes, um, our field is very collaborative, I think, as as far as academic fields go, especially our little like quantitative niche of media psychology, communication studies. And, and so collaborating is important as it is in games. And Skylar, I appreciate your collaborations on our many projects together and, and uh, not the least of which this podcast. <laughs> I'm so happy I get a chance to just rumbling about things I love. <laughs> this was great. This was great. Well, um, I'm sure I'll see you soon. And yes. uh, thank you for being on the episode. Any Thank last for words for me. our listeners? Come collaborate with me. Send her an email. Yes. All right. Thanks, Skylar. We can play games together. Got to do it. It's, uh, it's required for research. That was our podcast. Thanks for listening to Skylar and I go over her past, her present, maybe a bit of her future research. And if you liked it, do all the things. The liking, the subscribing, the downloading, the telling of it on the mountain, etc. And thank you to Taylor Halterman, who is our producer and editor extraordinaire. Thank you for listening and watching SpartyCast. I hope to catch you next time. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.